0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 230 with Lori Pickard. I think you're really going to dig this conversation because apparently you're into learning stuff using your devices, like a smartphone, like a podcast app, et cetera. And Lori Pickard has cracked the code on really making the most of what's out there and what's available, even so much so that she crafted her own MBA, Master of Business Administration education uh, for a very low price. So you're going to learn one, all about MOOCs, massive open online courses. What are they, where to find them and how to pick the winners Two, how to use loss aversion to avoid quitting online courses. And three, how to build a prestigious network without going to a prestigious university. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F230. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our nifty resources. One I just put up recently, it's in a hello bar. It says, hello, it greets you right when you show up on a page. It's at the very top, and that links you to a free trial of LinkedIn Learning, which has a ton of these courses that we're talking about, and it's very handy and a good way to get set up for a free spin through all of that that away. Now, here is Lori's story. When some of the most prestigious business schools in the world began providing free versions of their courses online, Lori Pickard saw an opportunity to get the business education she had long desired at a fraction of the typical MBA price tag. Her no Pay MBA project at NoPayMBA.com has appeared in the Financial Times, Poets and Quants, Fortune, Entrepreneur, CNN Money, and the Wall Street Journal. Don't Pay for Your MBA is her first book. Here's Lori. Lori, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: I'm really happy to be here.
0: Oh, me too. Me too. And I understand that you have some twins who are happy to be in the world as well. Tell us, uh, how's that adventure going for you?
1: Having twins is totally crazy and enjoyable and amazing. I actually wrote my book while I was pregnant with them. You know, twins are usually born early. So I was kind of like under two deadlines because I was under the book deadline and also under the deadline to get it finished before they were born, which I did.
0: Congratulations! So that was
1: really good. Yeah, thank you. They're eight months old now. I don't know if I mentioned that. But when they were born, it was like, oddly enough, it felt like you know managing two, uh, my babies were only slightly premature, but managing two premature infants felt like, kind of like the ultimate operations management challenge. So I actually, oddly enough, drew from some of my coursework to figure out how to do that.
0: Oh, that is fantastic. We're expecting our first child shortly, and I... Um, into that sort of knowledge. So could you give us one example? Just we can nerd out hardcore one time.
1: Sure. So, well, with two, everything is multiplied, obviously, but we were under doctor's orders to feed them every three hours. And when babies are born, they're not all great at figuring out how to eat. So it often took us an hour and a half to feed them. And then there were all these other little tasks that had to be done, you know, diaper changes and, oh, yeah, we need to sleep a little bit and we need to feed ourselves. So I had my parents helping me out. So it was me and my husband and my parents. There were four of us. So I was all about like mapping out our time. We were in shifts going three hour shifts and trying to figure out. It was kind of like if you've ever worked in a restaurant, it was kind of like having the dinner rush every three hours.
0: You're right. Okay. And you've made it. And so, so far everyone's alive and healthy and sleeping maybe more better now than before.
1: Yeah. Everyone's doing great. And it is definitely an amazing time and uh, you're going to enjoy it. I wish you luck and and you'll, you'll have a great time.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I've also been having a great time. I love those four segues. I've also been having a great time. (laughs) Check it out, your stuff, your website. So nopaymba.com and don't pay for your MBA, the book It's pretty cool. And so I'd like to hear a little bit of the backstory here in terms of how did your quest begin in terms of, you said, I'm going to take an online approach to getting an approximate equivalent to an MBA. How did that work for you personally? Well,
1: so I guess I could say I was a little bit of a late bloomer career wise. I sort of didn't exactly know when I went to college, what I wanted to do with my degree. And even when I got, I got a master's degree in geography of all things, which I didn't know what I was going to do with that either. I just really loved learning. And by the time I figured out that what I wanted to do was to work in international development, and I wanted to work particularly on economic development and business development type of stuff, I felt like the other people I'm competing with have degrees in economics or finance, or they have MBAs. But like, I'm not going to go back to school now. I've been working for years, I'm a little bit older than most people who would get an MBA. And I don't necessarily need another credential to get the job that I want, but I need this knowledge and I need some kind of background in business. So I thought there could be a potential for me to educate myself. And I had thought that for several years. And when I heard about Massive Open Online Courses, I actually had a friend who was taking a course. And he literally said to me, this was somebody who had an MBA. And he said to me, this course is great. I could refresh my entire MBA. And I felt like a light bulb went on. I was like, if this person who has an MBA is saying there are enough courses out there that are free, that I could refresh my MBA as somebody with an MBA, I just thought, wow, okay, I could actually maybe do the equivalent of an MBA using these courses. And I thought for sure, because this was after MOOCs had been around for a while, I thought for sure there must be somebody else who had already done this. And I kind of Googled around and saw that there wasn't. And so I saw in addition to the opportunity to to get this education that I wanted, there was an opportunity to be the person who blogged about it. So I took that spot on the internet.
0: Oh, there you go. Double up. Okay. I love it. So very cool. And it served you well. Yes. I mean, can you tell us what have been the benefits? Well, I guess there's the public relations media angle of benefit that has accrued to you from your position doing the blogging, but also just sort of a classic career opportunities that one might go to an MBA have also gone to you. Yes. Can you share? How's that unfolded?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, so when I started this project, my goals were pretty modest. I didn't really expect to get a whole lot of attention for it. I really just wanted to have kind of like a blog that would help some people. I hoped to get, you know, a little bit of media coverage because media coverage is such a powerful social proof that that could be kind of evidence that I had really done this and that it meant something. But I really just wanted to get promoted in my field, which is international development, and I wanted to be competitive For roles that were focused on private sector businesses and developing relationships with private businesses. So, within I guess two years or a year of I can't remember the timeline now, but shortly after completing most of my studies, I managed to score a promotion with my employer and moved into a role that was private sector facing, trying to build partnerships with private sector for the purposes of international development. So, I reached that goal much more easily than I expected, actually. But interestingly, I guess from my perspective, my goals kind of shifted over the time that I was doing this. And I really realized how much interest I have in entrepreneurship and how interested I am in working for maybe smaller businesses, being involved in education and education startups. And I feel like that's kind of a whole other avenue that opened up to me, which, of course, is something that happens when you're involved in an educational program of any kind. You sort of can see these new pathways. And with this book, and I'm doing some consulting work now for an ed tech startup. So that pathway has become available as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's excellent. Cool. So happy ending there. And so for those who think that they need the MBA, I know you have some special messages for these folks or those say, well, I have to have it. It's just sort of required in my field. Easy for you to say you were the first blogger to get fame and recognition for doing this now. I don't have that anymore. Thank you, Lori. (laughs) So what would you say is the response to, but I have to have an MBA, Lori?
1: Well, I think some people do have to have an MBA. So I don't take issue with that argument in particular. I think there are some careers and some pathways where an MBA is the most efficient way to rise within your industry. But I don't think that that applies to the majority of people. I think a lot of people are using the MBA when what they really are thinking is, you know, I don't really know what to do with my career next. And this is something that seems safe. And I don't think that's a great reason to get an MBA. So I think it really depends on your personal situation. And I think you have to ask yourself a few questions. Questions like, is it an industry standard to have an MBA? Like, if I don't have the MBA, is it impossible for me to rise? And in some industries, the answer is yes. But in most industries, the answer is no. I think you also have to ask the question... Can I do anything with just learning with, with the content of an MBA? You know, if I learn something new in the job that I'm in, do I have the ability to put that into practice and to kind of grow in the position that I'm already in? If I can't do that in my current position, do I have the opportunity to do some volunteer work, some consulting, something on the side that allows me to grow this new skill set? So I just think that there are lots of different ways to kind of get to the end point if you know what the end point is. And that's almost more important than having the MBA.
0: Understood. Thank you. Well, so then let's talk about these. You're all about the Massive Open Online Courses, or MOOCs, as the acronym goes. Tell us, where are these alleged MOOCs? Where are they hiding? How do we find them? Where do we point our machines to go get them?
1: Sure. So there are a couple of MOOC platforms, as they're known, that have a lot of business courses. Coursera.com, I believe, is one of them. edX.org is another. But actually, I think probably the very best place to go if you're getting started is a website called Class Central, which is kind of like a TripAdvisor or a Yelp for online courses. It's a review site, a search and review site that has a very extensive library of, I think, almost every online course that's ever been created.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good. And well, I got to ask about our, our friends and sponsors, LinkedIn Learning, com. How's that fit into the mix?
1: Yeah. Another great place to find some courses. I found that Lynda is a really good place when you have kind of a targeted skill that you're trying to learn. You know, if you're trying to get really good at Excel or you want to learn how to make an amazing pivot table, that's a place to go.
0: Okay. Understood. And that makes sense in terms of the branding as well. And, and what I see available there. And so I know and love lynda.com genuinely, even before they gave you money to say so. (laughs) So, but you're opening my mind to some additional places to go. And that's great. And even a place to get reviews. And so that's intriguing. Now we had Barbara Oakley who had a big MOOC about learning how to learn on the show in a prior episode. And she was fantastic. So we just go right to those websites. And then you're just done. You just kind of go. And so there are fees or how did this work?
1: Well, so the MOOC platforms, this has become a bit of a confusing landscape, I think, for the learner. So the MOOC platforms, they're experimenting. So when these courses were first introduced, there were no fees anywhere. You could earn these certificates that were completely free and they were based on an honor code. And it was this very utopian kind of experience and the courses were massive and there were maybe a hundred thousand people taking the course at the same time as you and the forums were very active it was pretty amazing but as time has gone on the platforms have really been trying to figure out well how are we going to make enough money out of this to become sustainable so they've introduced kind of a freemium model in which people pay for various elements of courses so it may still be possible to audit an entire course but the assessments for example, Might come with a fee. Okay, but it's a very checkered landscape. So even on a single platform, there may be courses that kind of work in a different way. Where there are some courses that are completely free, other courses that are completely behind a paywall, and then some other courses that are in this middle space where parts of them are free and parts of them are not.
0: And so, what kind of price ranges are we looking at here for those who that are not free?
1: Those are really varied as well. So in some cases. 50 bucks for a course, which is a pretty good deal for a college course. Granted, you don't get any credit in the traditional kind of credit system for these courses, but then other courses can be quite expensive. You're ranging up to a thousand dollars plus for a course. And those are usually more like professional courses that can lead to either like an industry certification or that type. They're more meant for a professional audience, a continuing education that perhaps an employer would pay for. But most MOOCs are kind of in the 50 to $100 range per course.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And I will admit, I have on three occasions now purchased courses that cost more than $1,000. And I feel good about it, actually. It's like each of them, I had a specific mission I was looking to accomplish and they delivered on them. And so well, I'm a believer in learning. And sometimes you got to pay for it. And some things are available for free and some things are not. And it's interesting how it varies based on, well, who is putting it out, what are their goals and how big is the audience? Because you got to spread a fixed cost of producing the thing over different numbers of folks. And if it's millions, well, then that's easier to have a tiny fee than if it's a 100 folks who want to learn it It could be trickier. So it makes sense to me then that the landscape is all over the place. And then when I hear about MOOCs, I guess I think of big name universities and professors associated with them, sort of at the helm there. And so those websites that you listed there, which we'll mention in the show notes, do those include those as well? Or do I need to go specifically over to stanford.edu or whatever to access what they're offering?
1: No, it's actually better, I think, to go through one of the platforms or through Class Central and Class Central in particular. And just to let you know, I do some consulting for Class Central and that's not why I'm plugging them, but they are actually the best search engine in this space. In fact, the only search engine to my knowledge. But the websites of these universities, I don't even know that they always list all the courses that the university has. They may, but it is probably better to just go to the platform where you can kind of get the entire picture.
0: Okay. That's cool. And so then we see it all. And then what's the dilly with iTunes University? Is that still up and going and cruising? And is that worth visiting as well?
1: You know, it's kind of a mystery to me. I think iTunes U, it predates MOOCs with kind of the MOOC hype and the news about MOOCs and that acronym. And I thought it had so much potential when it first got started. And there are even some classes on there that I took as part of my No Pay MBA But I haven't seen them being nearly as active, and I don't really know what the story is with that. I do think it's worth visiting just to check it out. It is free just to see if there happens to be a course there. But the courses on iTunes U don't tend to be as fully featured as the courses on MOOC platforms. I think what's really cool about these courses on the new platforms, it's not that they're doing something that has never been done before. I mean, online courses have existed. I mean, what's the big deal with all of a sudden, five years ago, it's not like online courses were suddenly invented. What's interesting about these courses is that they're much more high fidelity versions of university courses. So they actually do feel like a university course in the sense that they have the same rhythm and the same pacing. They've got the professor, obviously, but then they have good assessments often. And they were really striving for the feel of a classroom. Like, how do you take a classroom and put it into a digital space? Well, that's kind of one of the questions that I think a MOOC is trying to answer.
0: Oh, that's so intriguing and exciting and so understood. And by the way, if folks want to check out iTunes U, even if it's less fully featured, that's right there in the iTunes platform where you see music and books and podcasts and movies and TV shows. It's another thing you can drop down, but it's good to get oriented there. Thank you, Lori, because I kept wondering, well, shouldn't there be more? Because Apple's amazing and they're big into education, and it's right there in the iTunes platform, and iTunes rocks at music and movies and TV shows and apps and podcasts, so iTunes U is probably amazing too, but I'm having a little trouble really getting into it, and you're saying, no, Pete, you're not crazy. They are, in fact, that is not an area where Apple is dominating right now.
1: Totally. But you know what, I think is really another kind of boon to people everywhere. I mean, MOOCs do have the most. If you're trying to learn, I guess, a topic that's really challenging, perhaps one that involves math or that involves really kind of buckling down and trying to master a new skill, I do think a MOOC is a better bet than something that you kind of more passively listen to. But what's amazing about the world that we live in is that you can be learning really pretty much constantly. I mean, while you're walking, while you're commuting, If you're listening to business podcasts, I mean, I picked up so much knowledge listening to TED Talks, subscribing to business podcasts, just kind of here and there. I just became so interested in really the whole world of business that was inaccessible to me before. And suddenly I just felt like this whole world opened up and not all of it required me to sit down and be in study mode and have my paper out and be taking notes. Some of it was enjoyable and and a little bit more passive, but still extremely valuable.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, I kind of want to hear now about that buckling down side of things here. When it comes to the challenge of self-study, I think that's in many ways probably one of the biggest hurdles to be overcome because if we're comparing it to university courses, Well, one, you've spent a healthy sum of money, which you don't want to lose. And then it's on, you know, the time marches on with the curriculum and the calendar and the quizzes and tests and writing assignments and group projects. And you will either kind of rise to the moment or fail. And so there's sort of an intensity and an accountability element, whereas when you're on your own it's a different ballgame. So what are some of your best practices for staying in the game and not fall to the wayside?
1: Yeah, I think this is such an important question because you're right. This is the main thing that makes this difficult for people because the information is out there. It's presented in a way that's accessible. And I think most of the people for whom an alternative could be an MBA, like people are pretty good at knowing, yeah, you know, I could get an MBA. I could go to school and I could do this. So it's not your personal ability either. It's Are you going to sit yourself down in your chair and actually learn this without clicking on every pop-up or thinking about your email or wandering into the kitchen to get a snack or whatever it is? And those temptations are really great, especially when you're at your house, you're not necessarily accountable to anybody, you haven't paid this huge sum of money. So I do think that you have to kind of like trick yourself in a way into doing this. So one of the ways to do that, I think, is to employ a little bit of loss aversion, even if you're not on the hook for over a hundred thousand dollars, even paying that $50, like I don't want to lose $50. So I think that can be a way to keep yourself accountable. I also think that another way to do it is to really be intentional about your goals. And when something's free, it's very easy to click on it out of curiosity, which I think accounts for MOOCs famously have a very low completion rate.
0: What number are we looking about here, maybe?
1: Oh, I don't want to give you an exact number and be wrong about it, but it's in the single digits. I'm pretty sure about that.
0: Okay. Under 10% of folks who start like the first course end up going the
1: distance. Right. But when you look at people who have purchased a certificate that number goes way up and i think it even goes up over 50%. I don't want to be quoted on these numbers because i'm not sure about it, but research has come out and i think i'm remembering that it was something like 60% of people who have actually purchased a certificate do complete the course. So that makes sense when you think that a lot of people are just curious, like what's in this course and you have to click on a couple buttons and enter your email address to get access to any of the materials. But i think about it like the book that you picked up in the bookstore and kind of browsed through versus the one that you bought and took home with you. I don't want to be held accountable for because I finished reading the book that I just picked up because I was curious about what's inside of it. And then even the one that I purchased and brought home with me and had sitting on my nightstand for a little while, if I wasn't really intentional about why I needed that book, I may not finish it. But I think that kind of goal setting can also really help people in a course. Like if there's a real reason and you've thought through what that reason is, you purchased a certificate, you're a whole lot more likely to finish the course. And I also think scheduling is a big deal. I think sometimes people don't give online courses, especially if they don't cost very much money, they don't carve out enough space for them in their lives. And that's a huge thing. A lot of these courses could take six to 10 hours per week to really do a good job, just like a college course. So if you don't give, if you don't budget that kind of time for the course, you can fall behind and then it becomes less likely that you'll finish it.
0: Okay, so understood. So great tips there. Anything else or is that kind of your top?
1: Those are my top, but one other one would be the social element. So I think either having a buddy in the course, having somebody who you're accountable to, even I think often these courses can be really helpful at work, especially I think for people who work in smaller companies that maybe don't have a budget for training or aren't sending you to training. And this kind of gets into maybe some other areas of how does this relate to your job and how does this make you better at your job? But if you've made yourself accountable to somebody, whether it's a boss or a parent or a friend or even somebody else who's in the course, having that level of accountability can help you finish as well.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, so now I'm thinking, so, okay, you got the browsers pointed to the whole universe of courses available to go after. And so your thing is don't pay for your MBA. So how would we actually kind of assemble those together in such a fashion that if that were your goal to have an MBA on the other side of this, that you would kind of accomplish it?
1: Well, I wrote an entire book about this. All so right. <laughs> I would say your first stop should be the book. Don't pay for your MBA. But to just give you kind of a little bit of what I put into the book and how I structured it. When I wrote the book, I really envisioned this role for myself as the MBA advisor to independent business students. You know, When you go to an MBA program, one of the things that you get as part of that bundled package is an advisor who helps you go through the program. And that person helps you put together your coursework. That person helps you find your internship opportunities. That person helps you kind of think through where your career is going. And to me, all of those are really important elements of the MBA. So to get the full package, you have to go through all of that. And all of that's covered in the book. But as you're thinking through your curriculum, you know, I've been asked for like the checklist of like, these are the 20 courses that are an MBA, but that's not how I think about an MBA. I think about it much more in terms of a tailored business curriculum. And that's really another opportunity that we have with this huge library of courses that are available. And I think last time I checked, there were over 1600 business courses. So who am I to tell you which 20 courses are the ones for you? I think it's more important for people to kind of like walk through different kind of steps in putting together a curriculum. And what I mean by that is I think you have to start with kind of a foundation in some general business topics, business language, you know, things like finance, that is a language that everyone in business is capable of speaking, subject like management, marketing, things that people who have studied business all have some kind of grounding in those topics. Right. And then I think you need to move on to certain skills. I mean, if you're going to present yourself as somebody who has the equivalent of an MBA program, you better know how to do an Excel spreadsheet. You better know how to make a pitch deck or a presentable slide deck. You better know how to talk to people. There are just certain skills that you ought to have. And then from there, so foundations, skills, from there, I think it is really important to build some kind of a concentration in an area that's kind of like your main area that you're really going to take with you to kind of go deep on that level. Or to go deep on that subject matter and then translate that into your career, so that's kind of the third area: the so foundation skills and then an area of concentration.
0: Oh, perfect, thank you. Well, so now I'm thinking. All right, let's say someone's really digging this. You're like, yes, Lori, I am so in. I am not going to go to a traditional MBA. I'm going to the no pay MBA approach. But if someone does do that, there are a couple things that they're missing out on with regard to the business school experience, and so I want to talk about a couple of those here. So one of them is the network. Hey, you go to Harvard or Stanford Business School and you graduate, you got a whole lot of folks in your LinkedIn and friendship circles that are Harvard and Stanford MBAs, which sure can come in handy over the course of a career in terms of a network. So how do you recommend kind of compensating for the notion that that's not going to be built in to the the self-paced approach?
1: Absolutely. This is another really important consideration if you're kind of going on your own. But I do think that anybody can build a really great network. And a lot of it is just being intentional about trying to meet people. I do think that an often overlooked and amazing tool in job searching and building a network is informational interviews. And that's useful, not just for growing your network, but also for knowing kind of where you belong in the world of work and figuring out what your next career step should be. And it's a very low pressure way to build your network. And I think it never hurts to ask for an informational interview. With somebody who works at your dream company or in your dream field, or even somebody who's at a fairly high level in their career, somebody that you might not have access to just to cold call for a favor. For an informational interview, you know, people really like talking about themselves. So that can be accessible if you do it in the right way. So, yeah, I think it really just boils down to being intentional about it, setting aside the time and thinking through who do you really want to connect with and making the time to try to get those connections and to being determined about it, even if you don't get a yes from every
0: single one. Okay, very good. Well, and so then I also want to get your take then on some of the other benefits, like when it comes to having the MBA also sends a signal to prospective employers like, oh, so you got into that school. They took a good look at how smart you are and and they decided you were smart enough to come on over to the University of Chicago or wherever. So we've got that benefit as well as the benefit of, okay, you did take the courses and you passed them. So they, they evaluated you, and such, as well as just sort of the the resume itself. It's like, oh, that sort of counts. It's accredited and and it's on there. So I'd love your take on uh, how do you try to incorporate uh, some of these MBA benefits into the no pay MBA approach?
1: And again, these benefits are huge and shouldn't be overlooked. But I think it's interesting. I like the way that you've kind of broken this down because it is, you know, I think people often use like the network or the degree to signify all these different things that you talked about and they are kind of different things. So let's kind of look at a few of them one by one. So if you're talking about the brand signaling, you're talking about is somebody kind of just impressed with your sort of overall what you have to offer? And and maybe if you're, I'm a Stanford MBA or I'm a Harvard MBA, like that kind of sums it up. But I don't think that Those are the only people that anybody is impressed with. So I think it's important to kind of build the way you present yourself, your resume, and kind of the other elements of your personal marketing strategy. Is there anything else impressive about you? Have you had internships or jobs at companies that are well-known? Have you earned a promotion quickly? Have you written articles? There are all kinds of things you can do to kind of stand out in that way. And I think that's a good way for people to approach that piece of kind of, are you impressive aura? and then i think there's another piece of that when if you've got the credential that it's a powerful signifier that you might succeed at the job but again it's not the only way to show someone that you can succeed at a job and it may not even be the best way to show that you can succeed at a job and in this area i think having experience having letters of recommendation those kinds of things can go a long way to showing that you are capable of succeeding and then there's another element of this which i would call again this kind of concept of social proof which to me means Is there evidence in your life that you can succeed by other people's standards? Can you present yourself in a way that reflects well on the company that you work for and on yourself? And again, some of these same elements can be used in that way. Have you had articles published or do you keep a blog? Have you been promoted? Have you been hired at companies that are well known in your industry? All those things contribute to the signaling in your personal brand.
0: All right. Perfect. Well, tell me, Lori, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
1: I think that people can really gain a lot by taking online courses, even if they're not trying to replicate an entire degree program. There's just so much out there that it would be a shame to not explore that universe just to see if there's anything out there that could work for you.
0: Certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I'm excited myself to dig in and see many of these courses just sort of. A raid before me across everywhere and then people's input on them. So I've not done that before in a way that goes across platform. So yeah, I'm right with you. Well then, could you share with us for starters, a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
1: Sure. So one of my favorite quotes that has to do with online learning is, I'll read it out to you. Our ability to learn what we need for tomorrow is more important than what we know today. I and mean, that's a quote by George Siemens, who is one of kind of the founders of the modern MOOC movement and that quote just really resonates with me because I do feel that our world is changing so quickly that I don't want to be evaluated on like what I learned in college or in high school or what I'm kind of carrying around in my memory, but my ability to learn what I need to know for tomorrow is extremely important and is a major factor in why you should hire me if, if that's what I'm going for.
0: All right. And how about a favorite
1: book? So one of my favorite books that I read while I was studying business is called Reinventing Organizations by Frederic Laloux. I don't know if you've heard of this book before, but it's incredible. It's, it's like a handbook, but also kind of a case study or several case studies of self-managing organizations kind of in the, study, in the style of Holacracy, but this is a more general kind of look at self-managing organizations. And it's just so inspiring to think that, you know, we might be moving towards organizations where like, you don't need a boss to tell you what to do, that teams could really manage themselves. Oh,
0: that is cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool?
1: So I thought about this question a lot since it was on your list of fast faves. And I have to say one of my favorite tools is just the good old Google Sheet. My life is really a series of Google Sheets. That's how I organize <laughs> everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, I could relate in terms of... I'm just thinking from getting married to like, all right, we're looking at rehearsal dinner venues, new Google Sheet, now to home improvements, like, all right, new Google Sheet.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. That is me too.
0: Well, have you done anything creative or kind of slick since you've taken all these courses about how to be awesome at spreadsheets? Any cool things you do with Google Sheets that we can learn
1: from for the rest of us? Oh, I don't think I'm doing anything all that amazing with Google Sheets. I mean, sometimes it's the simplest tool that is the most powerful. So I think Google Sheets are pretty good just even if you're using them just as a matrix, which is one of the more commonly used frameworks in an MBA program. It's just like the good old fashioned matrix. If you're trying to break down an idea, what better way to do it than to just have a couple columns and a couple rows and you're kind of good to go.
0: Oh, yes, I dig it. I dig it. One of my favorites lately in terms of like time-based planning things is to use the now or today functions. And then you subtract like that time from a future date. So you just sort of see how many days left do I have for this thing? And thusly, just based on how long all this stuff is going to take us, how much time do we have to spend per day? So that was kind of the clock was ticking in the days leading up to wedding.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. And It
0: was just like, okay, we're need to spend three hours every day. <laughs> <laughs> between now and wedding day do we have all of this done and then we'll be set
1: you know i've also tried like conditional formatting where you kind of like if the day has passed if the deadline has passed turns red but i don't do that anymore because it just stresses me out
0: i hear you well also i think it's effective at stressing others out if you want some accountability like you don't want to be the guy or gal who's responsible for a cell turning red it's like ooh, that's so fun Okay, cool. So that's a tool. And how about a favorite habit?
1: Favorite habit. And this applies to, definitely applies to completing an OPA MBA or any educational program, but also just applies in life and certainly to writing a book. I love to just divide a task down to the very smallest actionable step. So my husband always says to me, you don't procrastinate at all. You're like the only person I've ever met who doesn't procrastinate. And he's right. I really don't procrastinate, but the way that I do it is I don't necessarily, I don't set myself up to have like a big chunk of work that I have to get done on a certain day. I start really, really, really small. Like sometimes the task of the day is like open the attachment. That's literally all it is. And I think that habit of just like, what is the very, very, very smallest actionable item, even if it's just click that attachment, getting started sometimes leads to doing a little bit more.
0: Oh, I I like that a lot. And so as you're planning it, do you have a master list of all the steps associated with that project or only the very next step?
1: You know, I have kind of milestones. Like I'm thinking about, you know, how I wrote my book, because that is probably the single biggest project that I ever took on. And I did it in a series of word counts. Like I'm going to do 300 words. Like every day, if I do 300 to 600 words, I will finish this book. And I just kind of plot along. And so I kind of like map it out like that, but I don't map the entire thing out from start to finish on the very first day but I do try to keep myself kind of on a pace that if I were to keep up this pace, I could finish by the deadline.
0: Okay, cool. And then tell us, is there a particular piece that you share that seems to really resonate with people that gets them you know, nodding their heads, taking notes, retweeting?
1: You know, I first made headlines for this project. A reporter covered the project in its very early days. And the title of the piece was something like an MBA for under a grand. And I feel like that sort of like followed me around and that became something that people were really interested in. And it's funny because I didn't have a particular dollar figure in mind for how much I would spend. That didn't mean all that much to me, but it did really kind of speak to people. And I kind of embraced that to say, like, I did have a budget that I thought maybe might be around $1,000 that was like kind of my fund for me. And that kind of stuck in people's heads. But I think that's a nice concept for how you approach your version of an MBA, like whatever you have, that's kind of your fund for me. Like maybe it's 500 bucks, maybe it's 2000 bucks, whatever you've got that can kind of like be your MBA. Well, how much of the MBA benefits can you get with that amount of money? That's the way I really like thinking about this project and that I hope others would take with them.
0: And tell us if folks want to learn more or get in touch with you, where would you point them?
1: The best place would be the contact form on nopaymba.com that goes directly to my inbox. And then the other place is I run a Facebook group, the No Pay MBA Facebook group, which is a group of people who are interested in self-directed business learning. And I'd love to have any of your listeners who would be interested join that group.
0: Oh, thank you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
1: Yeah. So... I was a person who was a little bit, like I said, a little bit of a late bloomer. And I did spend some time in my early career years, you know, thinking like, oh, if only I had gotten the business degree or if only I'd studied economics in undergrad, or if only I'd done this, or if only I'd done that, I, I felt like I didn't have that much kind of foresight into what the world of work might look like. So I felt like I was always playing catch up. But what I would say to your listeners, if any of them feel kind of in that same space of being like, oh, if only I had done this to really dig into that, like, What would you be doing at work if you'd gotten the education that you should have gotten? And then find a way to learn what you would have learned and then start doing that work.
0: Okay. Well, Lori, that is fantastically exciting. I'm really looking forward to digging into some of these extra resources that you've mentioned here. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share this with us. So good luck and keep on leading the charge here.
1: All right. Thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure.
0: What I found super inspiring about this conversation with Lori is the sheer possibility that it unleashes in terms of if there's anything you'd like to know or need to know or would be helpful to know, you can go forward and learn that at a low cost. And that's hugely powerful and empowering. It's kind of like, oh, but I don't know how to do that. It's sort of like that excuse disappears so there's a power and responsibility associated with it and it kind of reminds me of that scene at neo in the matrix where he sits down in that like high-tech recliner thing and he starts shaking around and he emerges and he says i know kung fu kind of like that except uh, i guess a lot more arduous in terms of just that the sheer hours you have to spend to know it but there are devices that can give you all that knowledge and that's pretty cool so again if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here it's on over at slash F230. And I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Ed Lattimore. And Ed is a professional boxer and a physics student and an inspiring guy who has a world of expertise when it comes to just mindset and endurance and habits and discipline and that sort of mental toughness, resilience stuff that's come up a few times and that's required to flourish. So I hope to catch you there and peace.